Welcome to One Speed MMA Podcast. Thanks again for tuning in on a weekly basis. We've been really consistent with this. We haven't missed a week since we started. Not one. I was gone, one of them, and Travis filled in. Didn't I miss one? And no, because I only had California. California. Doesn't know how to party because they don't let people in. We can blame it on every single, every single <laughs> thing to do with games. But this is yours truly, Flying Smitty, and of course, here with us. Uh, sorry, trying to gather my thoughts here. There's a lot going on in MMA right now. Lots of different stories, but they all seem to kind of stem from the same vein, which makes it, it makes it signify that everyone's going to be talking about it. So you know, we'll give you our two cents on it, like we always do. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you happen to be bored with something, instead of turning us off, just, just skip ahead a little bit. <laughs> just skip ahead a little bit. Um, first 15 plus seconds of just the ads. Yeah, that's what I do through all of the ads on any other podcast, so I don't have to listen to Or do to a them. one and a half speed and just cut out what's obnoxious. You can't do that. Our podcast doesn't allow it. It's only one speed. You will listen to us when you speed. <laughs> <laughs> There is only one speed that this podcast goes, and that's our speed. Um, so let's get into Sioux Falls. Um, I liked it. Super random. I actually forgot this card was going to occur. If you listened to the last podcast and we were like, oh, there's no fights this week, you realize we were wrong because Sioux Falls was taking place, what, Wednesday night? It wasn't Sioux Falls. It's not our fault. Nothing it's good like, happens in Sioux Falls. It's like when it's like, if we didn't live here, we would say the same thing about the Salt Lake card. Who cares? Actually, they they ended up being awesome. I thought it was a lawsuit. <laughs> <laughs> I thought someone fell and they were being they someone were sued. being sued for falling. Sue, yeah, Sioux Falls. <laughs> That's actually how they got their name. The the poor Indians sued after they fell on their own land and got it back on their own tears. Yeah. Right. He, he passed though, right? He did pass away, but he's he's a smart dude. Um, so what, which fight do you want to get into first? There's a whole lot going on The whole on card. Here. Let's just talk overall the whole card. We just kind of uh, revisited it just now. Um, let's talk Let's talk Smolka first. So you told me that they threw in the, the towel. Well, I, it was I, never really talked about after. I but think that I think they called did. it at the same time simultaneously. Everybody, it, it, The crowd was booing as well. So it just seemed like everybody was ready for that fight to be over except for... Um, so explain why you think the towel was thrown in. Out of the center of the octagon, from, and then threw it back. From uh, I always pronounce this wrong. Yeah. So after the fight was done, he picked up a white towel that was in the middle of the ring. Um, I don't think I've ever seen someone throw in the towel in a UFC fight. Mm-hmm. I think in a local card, I believe I've seen someone throw in the towel. I believe, and I could be wrong, and I couldn't remember what card that was. What do you think about that? Do you think people throw in the card or throw in the towel enough? Or do you think it's not thrown in enough? I've never seen it. Not enough. Not enough. Like, that's the thing, is fighters, for the most part, they're not going to quit. When you have somebody like Rory McDonald, not going to quit. And you'd probably get fired as his corner if you threw in a towel. But at the same time, like, the, the corner needs to be there at some point to to protect the fighter. Speaking of, the corner needs to be there at some point. How about Winkle John's camp just not being there for any of their fighters? They haven't made comments about John Jones. Donald Cerrone came out and actually talked crap on John Jones, which we talked about a little bit last time. Diego Brandao, they never made a comment on that. Um, they just, they don't seem, they, I mean, obviously I understand why they kind of stay out of the fighter's business because their their job is to train the fighters, not be life coaches or, or mentors per se. But if you're around those people every day, you've got to be able to, you know, talk them out of stupid decisions. with them at that time you're going to tell them to not hit pregnant women they're not up at night they're sleeping getting ready to train their next batch of people like no you just have to assume that they're going to be an adult at some point and john jones never will but you you have to hope that he will it's just it's interesting that it seems like none of the camps take ownership of their fighters doing something stupid. And I understand each person is their own and they make their own decisions, but I don't, I feel like most camps know what's going on or people that 
uh, teammates and different things know what's going on within their camp. Like but, well, there I, has to be some responsibility given to the camp. Well, on top of that, how how do you know that they didn't? They haven't talked to him. We just don't know. I'm pretty sure they do. They're, they're guys that, like, they're no shit. Like, they don't take no shit from nobody. Well, but like, I mean... They're going to tell... If they have a problem with the way that Jones is or the way that somebody is, I guarantee you they talk to him. We just don't get to hear about it. And it's probably better that way because you look at John Kavanaugh and Conor McGregor, and sometimes John Kavanaugh on Twitter and and all of the other shows, it's kind of like, okay, John, like, we get it. You and Conor are best friends. We think he's the best fighter in the world. That's great. You're wrong. We don't but... need you to continue to... You know, you're a coach. You... As a coach, the limelight should be – it's like a – the limelight should not be on you. It's like Ariel Hawani said. When you are a reporter, you don't want the reports to be around you. You want to be covering the news. And I, Going back on what I just said about hey, they need to actually come out and, and be more vocal about, hey, this is what we're doing in our camp to make sure these things don't happen, or, hey, this is us doing our part to make sure that we're there for the fighters because we're basically parental figures for them. You know, maybe they do want to just shy away from that and just say, hey, we're here to train the fighters. Whatever the fighters do when they aren't here two times a day, that's on them. It's not our responsibility. But I would like them to say one or the other. Well, we don't, we don't know what they have to say. That's the thing. And I think Greg Jackson came out after the plea, after the traffic ticket there where John Jones was like, I don't know why you're doing this. I wasn't doing anything wrong other than the fact that I don't have my license registration. Um I think Greg Jackson came out and actually said, we got him a driver, we're talking to him, it's going to be taken care of. And he almost seemed like his hand was forced. Because Greg, Greg Jackson's a soft-spoken guy. He does, I don't think he likes being, you know, getting interviewed or, or talking about... It's like people that play sports or musicians, when they're not doing that exact thing, they don't want to talk about it. Because that's all they talk about. Like the police. When I go talk to my brother, who's a police officer, he doesn't want to talk about his job. He wants to talk about sports or he wants to talk about something that's not his job because that's what he does 40 hours a week. Mm-hmm. I don't like talking about shit. Exactly. But we had to this week. Boring anyways. I cut my finger. Anyone uh, that wants to see how bad I cut my I'll finger, tweet it. we can tweet it or you can find it on my Instagram account, at Flying Smitty. Um, I cut part of my nerve, I think, because I, I, I can only feel half of the story a little bit. I can only feel half of the tip of my finger. Yeah. I got in a fight with a blender. The blender won. I don't know about it that. It was a bloody battle. Was there blood everywhere? Yeah. So... I imagine, like, did Chelsea freak out or she freaked no, out with blood? No, she did really well. But I, I'm a pretty calm person in, in cases of emergency. And I didn't go into shock until we were on the way to the hospital. So that worked. Um, so here we are. Uh, about a week ago, we broke our old blender. It, we were taking it out of the so cupboard. So you won that fight. It, it fell. It shattered. You won that we one. We won that one. So we decided to take up the competition, and I took back, or we had lost the, we had lost the blender that we got for our wedding, the first ever that we had, and I was like, hey, you know what, instead of a $19 blender, why don't we go, we have a $50 gift card to Walmart, why don't we go get something nice, so I got a Ninja. Yeah. Who did I say, Who did I, I think it was Brian, actually, I was telling him about it, because I was like, hey... I was planning on Justin helping me move all this stuff. He cannot. Can you help me? And I told him the story, and that's when I sent him a picture. And I was like, uh, I was like, he was pulling a blender out, and he cut his finger. And he goes, was it a ninja? Those things are super sharp. Well, the, the, I but, want to be. Yeah. I was going to say, actually, what happened is Neen, Ninja showed up into my house because she had oh, learned to chop. We're also and she out this chopped video. Me, she chopped me right on the finger. Watch this video that we send out. It'll be under mirror slash ninja something. Um... This woman has, it's the most confusing music video I've ever seen. She took it off of her YouTube page, and uh, God bless Reddit for (laughs) being able to put it on Mirror. We'll send out the link. It's hilarious. Uh, We've gotten off the the topic. Your finger. Yeah, so we're going right back. So anyway, so I go get the Ninja Blender for my wife. Um, but the, the, the good thing about this was is it wasn't for an anniversary and it wasn't for a birthday. So it wasn't like, a, hey, it's your birthday. I got you a blender. So she actually waited for me to get home to open it um, because she didn't want to open it when I was gone because that's the kind of relationship that we have. So anyway, so we go to start opening it, and they actually have a cardboard filler that's inside of the metal or inside of the glass unit that, you know, the food or whatever that you're going to blend goes inside of. So they've already got the blade apparatus in the middle of this thing. 
And as I'm removing the cardboard, the, the blade plastic part is coming out with the piece of cardboard. Well, as it comes out of the blender, it dislodges from the cardboard and it just drops. And so my reaction is to try and catch it, which is just kind of what happens. And all of a sudden I just feel just a, a, a quick, sharp pain to my thumb and then it stops. But I already know what happened. So I immediately move to the, the sink as blood is just going everywhere. And I say to my wife, I think I'm going to, I think I'm going to need stitches because I didn't want to freak her out and be like, Hey, we need to go to the hospital now. I'm bleeding everywhere. Um, so I was like, Hey, I think I'm going to need stitches. And she turns around and goes, you think you're going to need stitches? And I was like, will you grab me a rack? I need to put pressure on this. So she had an ACE bandage. She wrapped it all up for me. She did a really good job. We went to the hospital and I started kind of going into shock on the way there, that and driving like a million miles an hour. Um, but when we got there, I decided I wanted to try and take a Snapchat of it. So I was taking off the bandage to take a picture. And I just started bleeding all over the emergency room floor. It was like, this is this wasn't the best idea. So someone else had to come clean up my, my blood. And um, as the, the ER doc came in and stitched me up, he's like, cool, I'll send you a, I'll send you over to a hand specialist so they can take, take a look at it and make sure everything's put together properly. I was like, wait a minute. So basically, it's stitched up. But if they went in, so I know I've got obvious nerve damage, but you can't really fix nerve damage. You can't reconnect nerves. Um, I don't believe there's any tendons that are messed up in it. But nonetheless, if there was, they would have to just reopen me up, fix it, and then close it back up, which I don't necessarily want. But anyway, so now I can, so your hand, for those that don't know, your hand is split up in a nerve that goes up your index finger and then a nerve, two nerves that go kind of into your thumb. So you can, your index finger and your thumb have one nerve. Yeah. So I can feel this side, my left side of my thumb, the mm-hmm. top of my thumb, and this side's numb. Mm-hmm. And then when you see the cut, you can actually see why this that would happen. Left hand. I always like, yeah. It's funny, it's like, whenever I, like I broke my left foot playing soccer or leg, and I'm always just, at least it was the left, this right's too good to, to let go. <laughs> that's the old, that's, gonna, that's, what, that's what, that leg is what's going to get you into the big time. Yeah. I'll be able to be on UFC 202, you guys watch. Yes, yes. All right. But yeah, so that's what happened. So pictures of my hand on Instagram. I don't want to necessarily tweet it out because I feel like it's pretty disgusting. However, they're MMA fans, so I feel like they're used to that kind of thing. Like Anderson Silva's leg well, I tweeted out the video just now. Of a ninja? Yeah. That's all right. That's pretty, that's, that's I think that's 100% awesome. That's more grotesque than your finger. Uh, yeah. Culture, culturally insensitive, especially to the Asian lady in it's the front. It's not even that. It's like Everything that went into this video was the worst. The people in it. The I lady just, singing. It, it seems like it was promoting a mattress, but then they took that time to... I didn't watch the video. It's hilarious. Um, Sioux Falls, what was your favorite fight on this? Oh, Ferguson, boy, right? My boy, Ferguson. I, mean, I don't like Ferguson, but uh, tell us For about no it. Reason. Tell us about it. Uh, so Venata took the fight on short notice. Um, looked surprisingly good. I think he's a 145er, and I think that he could be pretty good at 145. The, I, I, the problem was, and you can see the level of striking that Ferguson has, is he had a lot of good explosive shots, um, did a lot of kind of zany things. He could take a shot, too. What we found out, though, is that he ran out of ideas, and Ferguson's timing was a lot better. Like, he kept hitting him with a jab, and he had tried to throw combos even when he was super tired, and he had actually knocked down Ferguson with a three-hit combo. I think it yep. was a was a left, left-right, left left-kick. Yeah, or left-right, right-head kick. One or the other, but yeah. I think it was a right-head uh, kick. Yeah. Right. Um, and he drops him, and, and Ferguson was on just crazy street, man. He was I think all... They should, I think they should have called it, and I think they, they didn't because it was Ferguson, and he wasn't supposed to lose that fight. Like was, Rick's story status. He was status. defending himself. To a point. I... Intelligently defending yourself. You like, you said, like you said, he was running away from the fight, which, what does that mean? Like, he's at least, even if he's acting, like, he... He's at his wits enough to know that he's going to get knocked out if he continues to get punched. And he also grabbed a leg and almost sunk in a... Um, leg lock. Uh, ankle, ankle lock. lock. Um, but before that, he was on Chris Levin Street. Yeah, he was. Fighting like a zombie. Yeah. Well, he wasn't even fighting, he was just rolling. Yeah. He rolled all the way across the map and just started running, grabbing limbs as he could. 
But then he came back in the second round, um, and uh, he looked good. The, the thing I liked about the second round and the biggest difference was, and we talked about this during the fight, the difference between a high, high-end fighter and a mid-tier fighter is that the mid-tier fighter continues with the same game plan and the high-tier fighter adjusts and comes out and, and, and wins, really. But Ferguson came out and he adjusted his timing. He watched what Venado was doing. Venado kept dropping his head when he would come in for a punch. And what Ferguson actually did is he started throwing an elbow every time he would drop and come in. And he actually catches him with the elbow twice. The interesting thing about this is Ferguson is a tough guy. I mean, he knocked out Ramsey Nijum. He's knocked out a couple people in that division. And he full-on punched Venado in the face countless times. And there was no way Venado was going out. I mean, he just... The power wasn't there. And I guess he could have cut him on the button, you know, left or right, instead you know of hitting him straight, you know, You're doing the, the school face thing these days. Um, so you just barely watched the fight mm-hmm. the first time. Yes. Um, I watched it again, and it kind of... I had the same sentiments that I had the first time. Do you... As far as, and I love, first off, his name's Lando Venata, mm-hmm. not Landon, everybody that's writing articles about him. And it's probably just autocorrect, but he is... Uh, um, MMA junkies got it right. Yeah, they, they, they will. Um, do you think he's a 145 or 155? Or he, he, looked, he looked small at 155. And the movement that he had, he was, the first round, he was really fast. He was moving around like a, kind of like a TJ Dillashaw. Not... Kind of, and maybe more like a Conor McGregor, not to that level of a Dillashaw or a McGregor, where Dillashaw and, and Cruz kind of stand on their feet and jump around, you know, kind of, not flat-footed, but squared up, whereas he had more of a kind of a karate stance, but not as wide as a Conor McGregor. And his striking looked good in the first. He threw a lot of unorthodox punches, but as soon as his timing, as soon as Ferguson figured out his timing, it was done. Now, I think if he moves to 145 where he's that same size, I think if he can, you know, knock down Ferguson, I think he's going to have some power in that 145 division. And I think he can get within the top 15. 145 is a, is a rough division. Um, you know, I don't think he beats Chad Mendez. I don't think he beats Cup Swanson. I don't think he beats Frankie Edgar, Jose Aldo, McGregor, any of those. But give him a couple years and he could be top 15, maybe – Eight to ten. I'm seeing if he actually has fought 145 at all. Doesn't show me here. Um, it should in Sherdog, but I don't know. I don't know, know if it did it on Wikipedia. Wikipedia. He actually doesn't have a Wikipedia yet. So while you're looking um, that up, one of the things that I found really interesting, moving on to the next fight, while you're looking for that, is the John Lineker Michael McDonald fight. He is a 145. He is a 145. Yeah, really quick. The other thing yeah, was, do you, what do you? Th- do you want to see Khabib versus uh, Ferguson going forward? I I would like to see I would like to see both of them get a title shot. I don't care who it's against. If it's against each other, that's even better. Um, I didn't think RDA was that strong at one fifty five er. Obviously, he is. It's just that division is that tough. We discussed this too, where I was saying I don't think the one fifty five division is as good as we think it is. But really, it's so good that it's hard to keep the belt, just like in the 205 division where everyone was so good that at any moment someone could lose the belt. Um, so I would like to see them fight. I would also like to see RDA and Khabib fight. And now that now that uh, RDA has lost the belt, I think you could set up RDA and Khabib again, a rematch. I think you set up Ferguson and Alvarez because that's a really exciting fight. I just... And then when, when Tony Ferguson be, beats Eddie Alvarez for the belt, then Khabib beats RDA again, and then Khabib fights do Tony you, Ferguson for the belt. Do you think there's anybody more dynamic right now can finish you in more ways than Tony Ferguson at 155? With Nate Diaz going up, with Donald Cerrone now going up too, do you think he's the most complete fighter that we have at 155? I think he's the most complete fighter at 155. I can agree with that. I think Khabib's wrestling's his... RDA is a pretty complete fighter. Eddie Alvarez has shown that he's a more complete fighter than we thought when he wrestled out wrestled Anthony Pettis, and then he took out RDA through striking. So, I think out of all of the divisions, the 155, and we discussed this the other day, I think 145 and 155 or 155 are the most diverse and most well-rounded fighters. And this is we discussed in the last podcast: would we rather be fighting at heavyweight or would we rather be fighting at 155? 
I said heavyweight because really all you have to worry about is getting knocked out or held down. Whereas at 155, and, and I'm including 145, you have to be at least rounded enough in each thing not to not to lose that way, if that makes sense. Yeah, well, that's so you can't like get Daniel taken down. Cormier, who's yeah. undersized, um, he is significantly outmatched at heavyweight pretty much by everybody standing. And still take them down. And how? Because right, he can so neutralize them one way. He can make sure that they don't get that one shot off yeah. on him, and he can just take him down. Just like Brock Lesnar and Mark Hunt. And, I mean, that's still... That one punch is scarier mm-hmm. than any other division. Career-ending scarier. Yeah. Like, it's scary, scary, scary getting hit with those. But I think, like, if you're just looking at it from a fight-by-fight basis, like... So, if you're a coach, it's like at 155, 145, 170, I would say, too. I think 170 still has... Aspects of this, but I feel like 170. I feel like 170 is the only division where it's so nullified that they have to strike. Raleigh, Robbie Lawler's wrestling is good enough that he can stay off his back. Tyrone Woodley is a wrestler. Carlos Condit's scrambling de- scramble defense is some of the best that they have. Rory McDonald is a, you know a wrestler, but you can't you can't take Thompson down. You know? Like and that's, that's his a, scramble defense. It's. Well, and that's the thing is like you have to specifically plan for each individual, and it's the same with Damian Maya. He will take yeah. you down. I, I would say it's not quite as dynamic as one fifty five, but it's right there, in agree. my opinion. I can agree with that. But um, I just that that on a on a fight by fight basis, like that's where you see the camps, um, like Winkle John, Greg Jackson, where they can come up with specific game plans fight and they can make sure that that the short amount of time they have to prepare for they can prepare for their fighters for the best that's why that's where the 155ers really succeed in my opinion is going to those kinds of camps i'm calling it right now that i think winkle john's camp is going to start this year decline but not as significant mm-hmm. and i don't think he's i don't think he's going to be top 15 and of course john dotson is always going to be in the top five of whatever division he's in if not champion you know carlos condit who i love to death but I think the era of Winkle John, especially with John Jones potentially being out for two years, is going to be on the decline. And just like, you know, the, the age of alpha male for when they were very dominant, Uri Faber had the belt and all the rest of the guys looked like they were going to be champions. And then all of a sudden it kind of petered off. I think, you know, an ATT who's got Luke Rockhold, not AKA, who's got Rockhold, Cormier, Velasquez, like all of those guys. I think I think Winklejohn at this point, based on all of the fighters that are in that camp, is, are going to start petering up. Did you listen to the MMA Hour this week? I did not. Um, Eddie Alvarez's uh, his interview was very interesting. Um, he actually talked about specifically that they're switching it up as far as training goes. There's no more. There's no more. Uh, it's on the twenty third. I, I really do like that. I want to watch Holly again. Um, but I show you that because we thought the 30th was the next one. Anyway, keep going. Sorry, I, I didn't mean to digress. No, you're fine. Um, and then he started talking about uh, he had like 15 coaches or some absurd amount of coaches just for him. Doing this camp thing is, is, is antiquated at this point for where the sport is. It was great for when it was getting off the ground and getting camaraderie and you have everybody in their specialties and everything. So many people know so many aspects of MMA. At this point, you get eight coaches or whatever it may be, and they're all targeting that one fighter. Um, and the whole camp mentality is pretty much done and dusted, which kind of makes me sad because now it's like where boxing is. But MMA, the whole thing was is that the camps are are kind of what MMA was about. You know, like each it, person was the best in their camp at what they were, and that's why you rolled with yeah. them. Well, yeah, but like Chelsea talking about, if you wanted wrestling, you went up to. You went up to Oregon and you rolled with, you know, Couture and, mm-hmm. yeah. But, I mean, also, you can you can obviously see that was a natural progression. And I think that's the way that it's going to start going from here on out. Like, it's it's pretty much got to. Like, you won't be able to compete if you don't do that, I don't think. Well, the, the interesting thing is, is then you get people like Conor McGregor who say they don't train for one fighter. They just train all around to make sure that wherever that fight goes... And to me, that makes the most sense because you look at John Jones, who, who nullifies whatever you're good at. I mean, so it's it's not necessarily being like, cool, this – or Tony Ferguson, right? Tony Ferguson right now does a lot of striking, but he wins most fights by submission. So what do you train for? Do you train submission defense? Well, probably not because his striking is what sets up those submissions. 
So you have to be ready to do anything. You have to be ready to go anywhere. And if you go to the ground, you have to be ready to get, you know, submission defense, but you also have to not get knocked down. It's MMA is no longer striker versus wrestler other than in like the heavyweight division. Um, other than that, you just have to train to make sure that you, you are all around. Almost like the stupid UFC video game. As dumb as this sounds because it's a video game, in that game, you have to train so much just all around. So if you fight a Carlos Conda, you can actually challenge him striking. Whereas if you fight a Damian Maya, he's not going to take you down and submit you. And they, they set it up so it's so one-sided if you fight someone that, that is against your strength. So if you fight a wrestler, all they're going to do is take you down and take you down and take you down. And you, you have to be ready for it. So you have to train so well-rounded that wherever that fight goes, you have to be ready for it. And I feel, I think we talked about this the other day where we said that the age of the wrestler was coming back because there were so many people that it had been nullified for such a long time that people stopped worrying about it as much. And now the wrestlers are starting to make a comeback. So the Eddie Alvarez beating Anthony Pettis with wrestling. Um, I got to think about who else. Brock Lesnar beating Mark Hunt. Barring rule changes, you're always going to see that. At a lower level. You don't usually see it with the top five. Because the top five, like Josh Thompson, when he fought Matt Brown three years ago, his wrestling wasn't on par. And now it is. And now he can actually compete in the top two. You know, but that's what I'm saying. Though it's like it's going to ebb and flow that way from here on out. Like it, and it's different than other sports because normally rule changes will will change the game. And I don't think they're going to probably have too many rule changes. They might if eye pokes keep happening and stuff like that. But for the vast majority, like the the rules, I think that John Jones won't be fighting for two years. There'll probably be a, a, a large decrease in eye pokes, and nobody wants to touch Bisping's eye. Um. <laughs> And uh, that's rude, right? It was rude. Um, yeah, but, he could uh, have lost his eye. His, his career could have been ended. Makes me sad for him. It does. I, I don't wish... I, no, I, I know, I know. I said that, like, almost sarcastically, and I did. I get that. But I, I, I don't want that for anybody. That scares me. Like, I can't imagine getting paid $50,000 to lose your eye. It sounds, like, awful. But anyways, I'm sorry. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that you're going to see that ebb and flow forever. Where regardless, everybody's gonna have to be good at everything, but you're gonna like, like I was saying, I was so excited to almost see a triangle choke when um, was a Smolka yeah. that almost sunk it in. Because when was the last time you saw a triangle choke? I think I, there was one on the undercard before UFC 200, but before that, so on the main, okay, a so very on the long main time. stage. No, on the main stage, you very people can see. defend them all. They've trained them so long, like everybody can defend it. Um, now, I don't even think that's the main way to defend it. You just don't get in the position. Yeah. It's that, you just, yeah. That's simple. Anybody can do it. If you have top position, you have to be aware of the triangle. Yeah, no. Well, and what it was, I mean, it was such a striker versus grappler once again. I just don't think you see people posturing up and guard too much anymore. That's, you see them up against the chest, and they're mm-hmm. just throwing like, short shots at the head and the stomach. You don't, yeah, and, and, they, and they, they, used, they used to catch the wrestlers who would posture all the way up to whatever they were in and, and throw as many big strikes as they could, mm-hmm. leaving themselves open to, to grip an arm or whatever it was. You either have a foot on or you have a hand on their foot and you're like postured way up mm-hmm. or it seems like you're, you're leaving no space and you're up in their chest and you're just throwing short shots and uh, holding like a limb. But um, for you, what did you like most about the I really like the the Bosch fight because I really like him. I'm not a big fan of Josh Salmon or Simon or however you pronounce his name. He's always seemed a little bit arrogant, um, but not like funny arrogant like Elias Teodoro. So I was really glad to see Bosch get back on the winning the winning cycle and actually, you know, he's in trouble too. He looked good. Yeah, and he he usually does for how big he is for and looking like a Viking. He usually seems to get caught at least once in most of his fights. Most of the most of the fights like the. The end of the who ended up being the winner was actually in trouble. Nakamura was in trouble at the beginning of the first round. Tony Ferguson was in trouble <laughs> for most of the fight. Tim Boach had some uh, had some scary moments. It was a good card. I thought it was good back and forth fights. It was a, it was a really solid card. Even the the undercard, a lot of those worked out really well. The one Russian versus Polish or whatever it was that fight was we I skipped it um, because I didn't really go anywhere. I did see some of the undercard, but none of them really stuck out to me. Michael McDonald versus John Lineker was a great fight, 
Sadly, not for Michael McDonald coming back off of a two-year break. You kind of had to guess that he was going to lose. But he must be in with the fighters. They must really like him because all of the announcers from the UFC tonight picked him to win. Michael Bisping did. Rashad Evans did. Even though he'd been out for two years. And John Lineker has been on a tear. John Lineker they might have just seen it like a, They might have just seen it like a Dominic Cruz situation where they thought that he... I don't know. Lineker, to me, is going to challenge for the title. But the hard part is, as a 145, he picked apart. he's going to have a hard time. What, 35? No, he, he had to go up. No. Yeah? They fought at 135. These guys did? Yeah. Because he looked small. He's, from what I understand, and Carson is fact-checking right now, John Lineker had to go up because he kept missing weight at 135. So he had to move up to 145, and he won his last fight at 145, and he won this fight at 145, which I would suggest would probably put him in the top 10. Now, that, that's very difficult because if he's at 145, I think he can catch Cubs Swanson. I think Chad Mendes takes him down, and I think Frankie Edgar takes him down, and I think Jose Aldo can probably outstrike him with his speed. So I think he stays top six, and unless something weird happens, I don't see him getting a title shot. In which case, in a couple of years, he try and drop back down to one thirty-five. Oh, I mean, I just wanted to where it has like the breakdown of the weights on MMA Junkie. Which is so that's what I'm. That's what I'm looking at. I'm about. Let's see what we got here. But I do feel bad for Michael McDonald because after two years, he looked like he was super excited to be back in the ring. He came back out. He was, he was really happy to be back, and then he just got blasted. Why did I think did he fight at one twenty five? One twenty five? I don't know. He looked like he's small enough to. I don't know. So if he fought at one thirty five, I as far as I understand, what he might have fought at one twenty five, and he was too big. He kept missing weight, so they made him go up, which will most likely happen with Johnny Hendricks. He's gonna well. get destroyed. Give him cut. Like, I see people are calling for this on Twitter. 100% agree with it. Cody Garbrandt versus John Lineker. Let's make that happen. I think that's an amazing fight. And he's then got, get a. He's got to get past Nakam- or, uh, Mizugaki, Mizugaki first. Who does? Cody Garbrandt? At 202. He'll be on 202. I'm pretty sure he'll be all right. So let's talk to two things. So I really like that. I feel bad for McDonald. He seems like a really nice guy. Lineker's on a tear. He might be too small and too slow for that division. Um, he didn't look slow. He just looked like he didn't have, like, amazing technique. He, threw he might be fat, but I seem like a John Dotson. And maybe put him and John Dotson against each other, because John Dotson's up in that in that now, in that division. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of fights. I say him, Cody Garbrandt. That, they can make that in a month. Him and Dotson being in 135, along with Garbrandt and Dillashaw and Sun Tzu and all of those fighters, make 135 a much more exciting division. They should just collapse the 125 division and throw them all back into 135. No. We just need to find a way to get Johnson out of there. we got to get him either having confrontation with Cobbs or, <laughs> or, or just retire for a year. Or we need him in the next um, he's got Captain eight, America movie. He's something got eight, needs to happen. He's got eight fights, man. Or like, something like that. Eight yeah, or nine yeah. Good for him. You know, I mean, he's worth it. I like the guy. He's a, he seems like a really nerdy but, but cool guy. Um, what would you like to discuss first? The upcoming card with Holly Holm or John Jones-Brock Lesnar situation? We already touched on John Jones' situation, so just a quick we, update. We never talked about the UFC cells either. Oh, we didn't. That's, in, that's important. I feel like we're kind of behind on that, though. Doesn't matter. I got, I got things to say about All that. Right. So do you believe it's a benefit or a detriment to employees? Not employees, but fighters. This is the thing. I hate it. (laughs) So first off, like I've complained about on the podcast before, UFC became so uniform. The thing that I liked about it, it was kind of, it was counterculture. It was fringe. You have Donald Cerrone saying fag, which I don't agree with or necessarily, but you got to know these people and it, you had conversations about it. We got to know Chris Liebman. We got to talk about drug problems, which you still do in normal sports but everything's so manufactured and so processed through ESPN and Fox, for example, Charlie Brock Lesnar getting pinged yeah. and them removing the Fox because they're in the pocket of the UFC and vice versa. They remove the story. I like that it was covered by MMA Junkie, BJPenn.com, 
fringe fringe news outlets that were designed for one thing, and we get to talk about them. I like that we got to know these fighters. We, we, you really like Forrest Griffin because he's goofy as hell, and he seems like a guy that you could have hung out with in high school and joked around about Mr. Checkage with, right? Mm. Like, those are the kind of guys you got to know. What the UFC cell means to me now, more uniform, more regulated. Dana doesn't get a fly off. The, for however much Dana bugs me, I love that unlike anybody else, he'll come out and call somebody an effing idiot or a knucklehead. You or, goofball? Yeah. And he uses goofball because goof? Like we just don't we don't get to see him swear anymore. Which I'm not saying you have to swear to be cool. Like that's not that's not what I'm saying. This isn't high school. But I like the <laughs> fact that they get to be who they are no matter what. And they're but the, the the fact of the matter is it's mainstream now. Like that's gonna happen. I understand it. I just hate what it signifies. And I take the opposite approach. So it's kind of interesting that we didn't discuss this before Shut going up, before going into this because the discussion will be a little bit better. I can see what you're saying. However, I like the fact that they were purchased by somebody else that already runs other sports. So instead of being like fly off the cusp, like, hey, let's run with this and hope that it works out and have a really bad year one year and then make $6 million the next year, you actually have a, a, a sports agency or a sports ownership company that says, we've had success with X teams and we know that there's a formula Obviously, the UFC and MMA are different sports, um, different formats, different things like that. However, the fact that they've run associations, the fact that they've run press conferences, the fact that they've run sports teams and had to deal with high-quality um, high athletes that are making $150 million a year or whatever it is. Nobody makes that much. Soccer, <laughs> soccer players, $124 million. Five million a year? In their contracts. Go ahead. Anyway, basketball play. Okay, so in their entire contracts, not a year. Anyway, the fact that they've actually had to deal with these certain things makes me excited to see what happens when a real sports agency, rather than a bunch of casino owners, take over a sport that's almost ready to explode. And it's pretty mainstream, but it's not mainstream, mainstream. And it's ready to explode into the mainstream. So we're not going to disagree that much because you did ask this and I didn't answer your question directly. Do I think that it's good? F- I, the thing that I'm not going to obviously fight it when I still love MMA, I, it's going to be better for the fighters. It's that is, I think that much is true. I think that they're going to get paid more. Um, and I think that the employees are going to be treated better. So a couple things like that they were talking about again on the MMA hour and Ariel Hawani was asking everybody, um, do you think this just proves the point? that we've been talking about for a couple months that these fighters have not been getting paid enough, that the company was valued at more and the fighters meant more to the company than they were letting on and they weren't paying enough. And there's some truth to that. The thing is though, is they do fully insure them and they try to, from what I understand, they did try to give them bonuses where they could. Um, well, and it sounds like they took care of them. If someone had fought for the UFC and had an issue medical or, you know, rehab or whatever, it sounds like behind the scenes, they never made a big deal out of it, but they took care of that fighter. Yeah, yeah. And I, I just think at the end of the day, um, hopefully they continue with those programs where they fully insure them and they, their facility that they're building for, like, sports rehab. I hope that, that continues. Um, what? I, I think they're going to get paid more. I think overall it's going to be better for the athlete. So I'm obviously not too broken up about the whole thing. It just kind of makes me sad that I don't get a – MMA is not what I got into necessarily. Mm-hmm. And where you were like, it's just a couple of casino owners. Those casino owners knew exactly where MMA came from. They knew about the Ken Shamrock, Hoyt's Gracie. They but knew they, about They've the, sure changed it a lot, though. They have, and it had to happen. But look at the Pride Days. I loved the Pride Days, but I hated the Pride Days. Because it was the wild, wild west. Pride Week, Paul. I called you Paul, damn it. <laughs> Justin, Pride Perfect. Week. Pride Week, and Donald Cerrone's not invited. <laughs> <laughs> They're going to actually just dress him up like that. He actually has to dress transgender and, and go out that week to prove that he doesn't. <laughs> That'd be great. That would be like so awesome if that's the way that they like they dealt with it. Like, listen, you, you messed be, up. You'll you know be what tar- you have to do. Tarred and feathered with makeup and, and boas. You have to take a week of, uh, of dressing up as a woman. <laughs> or you have to kiss one man. That's what you have to do. <laughs> it's one or the other. And we get to pick which man it is. <laughs> but I, I'm... 
I'm glad because as much as I feel like there's several different generations and this is going to spawn a different generation of MMA. You have the pride and the, the beginning of the UFC no holds barred generation that is more or less gone. The Tank Abbots, Dan Severins, who are still trying to fight, but their heyday is long gone and they just can't let it go. Then you have the UFC of Tito Ortiz, Chuck Liddell, Randy Couture, Vandalay Silva, you know, they were the end of the pride days, right? Vitor Belfort's. And now, like we discussed last time, John Jones was so imperative to this company because he was the first athlete that could have could have gone to a different sport that picked MMA and dominated and could potentially potentially convince other athletes to go to MMA instead of playing football or basketball or whatever it was. Obviously, pay's never going to be that good. However, I believe that this opens the new generation of MMA for the next generation of fans. And the generations of fans that have already been there since the Pride days are going to bitch and moan, and they're going to complain about changes, and, and whoever is after Reebok not doing as well as, as Reebok did, or maybe doing better but still complaining, whatever it is, those old generations, just like the old generations of every sport, when, you know, NFL used to be the guys that would break people's fingers and, you know, in the huddle and they used to be juiced to the gills and just hit each other helmet to helmet. Do me a favor. Will you walk over the, uh, the poster of Clay Thompson over there and then go ahead and pull up a picture of him in college, compare them side by side. Yeah. Good point. No, uh, yeah. Okay. So they're still juiced to the gills. Thank you. However, you have the Romanowski days and you have the, they didn't used to protect the players as much. They used to be able to hit each other as hard as they wanted and helmet to helmet and horse collared and, you know, and you watch NFL highlights and they, they, everything seems to be before 2000 because that's when all of the crazy hits, I mean, and there's still crazy hits and they're still putting their lives on the line. Nothing against them. However, there's different generations of football players. Just like me, being a Utah Jazz fan, a decade ago, and being a Utah Jazz fan now are completely different. I can remember more players' names from the John Stockton, Michael Jordan, um, Carmelo, Charles Barkley era than I can from today. It's so homogenous now. But it's also, like it's a, it's a generational thing. I feel like, and no, I guess not. That's not a generational thing. That was a generation that I got into it, so I remember. So there's so many fighters now, but if you were to... You can tell how long somebody has been in watching MMA if you ask them what their favorite fight was. And if they say something in Pride, that tells you something. If they say something from like say UFC 100. You how long they've been into it. Yeah. I've been into it since Vanderlei. I used to train when it was still no holds barred. It's like, no. Cool, man. Yeah. Cool, Dan. Dan from New Mexico. Um, but no, so I, I, and I think this is going to open a new generation. You know, uh, getting on ESPN and that, not that I care about it. I mean, it's good because they're talking about it. But who cares if ESPN covers MMA? Who cares if Colin Coward talks about it? Who cares if, I hate Colin Coward, by the way. if Stephen A. Smith talks about it? They don't, don't know. Like they don't know what they're talking about. It's We could go on. Those guys know so much more about sports than we do. But if we were to go on their show and talk MMA, we could blow them out of the water because they know they know nothing about MMA. Very true. It's, I understand now why like baseball fans don't like ESPN at all, which ESPN still has to cover it yeah. um, because of dog days of summer and nothing else is is on. But like, thank goodness for Brett Akimoto because he's the only one that even saves it because they're like, uh, uh Chell now. Like we don't know what to do. Hurry, get Chell or Brett Akimoto on the phone because they're the only ones that know anything about what's going on. I don't actually listen to Brent Akimoto, so I don't know if he's great. He's just been on ESPN the whole time. So when I wake he's up... Ex- he's exclusive, specifically, excuse yeah. me, who they brought in for MMA, right? Yes. He doesn't do any other sports commentating. No. Obviously, if he got the opportunity, he would. Most likely. They wouldn't just bring somebody in that couldn't talk other sports, really. But, I mean, he, that's good, because... But he doesn't go... He gives very little opinion. This is what I think they're going to do. He's just very much... A, I like him. He writes articles. I like Brett Akimoto because he doesn't belittle fans on Twitter and whatnot. But he does, probably because he can't, but he's more of a talking head. Here is the information. Here's five minutes of information on MMA, and now I'm gone. And then they're going to replay the same five minutes over and over and over again each hour. Um, So it's not really fair to him because he doesn't, like it's not Ariel Hawani that can get in-depth about 
certain things. He's got five minutes to say, here's the situation, and that's it. So he's doing the best that he can. All of, in summary, for all of that for me, um, I do hate kind of the amateur Bush League stuff that the MMA, did, MMA does with, like, um, Fred Hawani when all of that went down. Um, they did make right bites. I don't want to hold that against them. But it, that, that's, that stuff I am glad that it's gone. And I do think it's going to be better for the fighters. It just kind of makes me sad that what I loved about MMA, um, it was kind of like the wild, wild west of sports. And I say that all the time. Like, Google Love has so many episodes and pretty much saying the same thing. Like, I, I love that about it. Like, it was un, unregulated to a certain point. It was sovereign of other sports. And it was more fun. And I feel like it's just going to be less fun going forward, but it's still MMA. It's going to be more fun than anything else that's on. That's the hard part. Because if you go back on Fight Pass and you watch some of the old fights during the Ken Shamrock days, they sucked. Like, they stalled. They didn't do anything. Even though they were fighting without gloves, they circled the ring. There was no striking. Like, no matter what generation you think was the heyday, the heyday. No, no, we're talking about legitimately not fighting. Just circling. Go go get UFC Fight Pass because we have it. Go find Ken, uh, Ken Shamrock versus Dan Severn. And watch it. I like wrestling, though. They don't wrestle. They circle the ring well, for 15 minutes. Then that's like one example, though. We've all they do the it. same thing against Place Gracie. They don't strike. They're both Ken Shamrock fights. They're not striking. They don't do anything. Now, I'm not saying they're not striking. They're not wrestling either. Then what do they do? They literally just walk in circles? The Ken Shamrock then Severin when he does. And the next one, I think it's Ken Shamrock taking down and laying and praying on Place Gracie. Like, so Don, Don Fry fought, um, who else? Mark Coleman usually fought. Like, there are people that actually went in and fought, but, like, some of the best fighters that were supposed to be, like, the greatest of all time stalled for 15 minutes. Anyway, go watch go watch the, the Ken Shamrock Dan Severn fight. It's the worst thing that's ever happened in the, the history of MMA. I thought Ken Shamrock replaced Crazy and Bellator was bad. Nowhere near. Ken Shamrock, had, oh, man, it was the worst thing I've ever seen. Anyway, um... You will. I promise you, you will. Alright. I'll watch it. I got Brock Lesnar, what's your two cents? Surprised, actually. Um, you actually asked me about it, like, how, and this is why I was surprised. You're like, uh, what's the likelihood that you think he pings? And I said, probably zero. He had been tested eight times. In a month, he'd been tested eight times. Five of those was in the two weeks immediately following. Um, I'm going to be really interested to see is what it was. Again, if it's a diuretic. Um, so he can make weight. Mm-hmm. Uh, masking agent of something. Like, I, I highly doubt he's just taking outright, like, performance-enhancing drugs. So, a quick update on John Jones. From what I understand, and most people already know this because it's been out for a while, as far as what I kn- understand he got pinged for was two types of estrogen blocker. I don't know how accurate that is. Um, Neither do I. Shell Sonnen's the one that's been kind of going from podcast to podcast, spitting that out. Um, started on Joe Rogan's. I'm not saying that that's not true because he's actually he actually brought up the example when he was like uh, John Jones, Anthony Johnson. I think it was the fight. He's like not going to happen. Do you remember when I said that that wasn't going to happen? I already knew that it wasn't going to happen. And he also at the same time brought up the story of John Jones literally hiding under a mat while Usado was at their gym for eight hours, and then Usado wanting to catch him so bad because they heard about it after that they wanted to get. Um, Permission to you know, under the under the octagon because they would have assumed after eight hours John Jones would have had to have peed sometime and they wanted to go and see if his piss was under the octagon. Um, anyways, so he's usually pretty spot on. He's like, I knew it was going to happen. I knew it wasn't going to happen. I knew, and he 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 seems like he has sources that are saying John Jones knew what he was on. He knew what he was doing. And it was estrogen. It was. At least one of them was an estrogen blocker. Um, interesting, because I didn't hear any of it. His interview was pretty interesting with uh, Joe Rogan, top to bottom. Uh, so, I mean, most of that's coming from from him, and he's usually spot on. But I have I have no idea if that's actually true. It would make sense. That's kind of in line with what everybody thought. Um, Which goes completely against the. I didn't. I don't even know what it is. I've never even heard of it. I mean, we do because that's what you you use 
estrogen blockers when you cycle off of steroids. That's what you do. Well, that's it's part of the, the actual cycling process. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, I don't. Is it is it a is it an actual masker or is it just to stop the it's side just, effects of taking testosterone? It's, it's to re-regulate yourself. Interesting though, he did say he did not think he was on steroids. Uh, as weird as this sounds, but I don't think it would ping, and someone who listens to this could tell us. There's certain foods like yams and uh, Brussels sprouts and different things like that that will block estrogen. Brussels sprouts are a, nat- a natural estrogen blocker. So yams, I think, they will. The wild yams yeah. are what have the testosterone in them. Yeah. So would make you- For women, sorry, yams is the other way around. Yams actually prevent you from getting pregnant by increasing your testosterone, which then decreases your chances of pregnancy. So they're a natural... Um, Steroids are made from wild yams. Really? They're synthesized from wild yams. So, yeah, so if you eat yams, it makes it harder to get pregnant if you're a woman. It's a natural birth control. Not birth, not birth control, but it's a natural whatever it is. For me at this point, it does not matter if he knew if, it is, if he was complicit or he wasn't. It does not matter to me. He should have known. Like, all fighters at this point, you, that's the other thing he said. Like, you can literally take your supplement to Jeff Nowitzki. Mike Dolce talked about this on the MMA Hour. He said, you could literally take your supplement to, to Jeff Nowitzki and say, hey, this, this is what I'm going to be taking. Does it have anything in it? And he'll say, if it's not on the list, he'll say, I don't know. I would recommend you don't take it until we can get this tested. They will do it for you and have it come back and say whether you can or can't do it. There's apps. There's so many ways to stop it. And Mike Dolce is was very, very straightforward on on what kind of substances you should or shouldn't be taking and like how you can prevent yourself from, from uh, pinging by accident and that it's all on the fighters. It's unfortunate, but it has to be, you can't blame anybody else for it. But they also talked about, there's literally been substances um, or there's, I don't know if it was him or somebody else. Cause I listened to so many podcasts this week that they, Oh no, it was Brian Stan. He talked about it when he was on the MMA hour. He, he said that there was a supplement that he was taking and he said, nah, it doesn't sound right. And then, like, his trainer or something or his management group came back later and said, oh, good thing you didn't take that. There were parts meth in it. Meth. <laughs> and it's that's, like, that's why they got rid of the old um, Oxy Elite Pro and the old Jack 3D. and might have one of those. Yeah. It might have been one of those. Because he wouldn't name them. I think he's and actually think, sponsored by a I company. Think they currently sponsor Holly Home. Holly Home is sponsored by a company that, that produces substances that are t- technically banned by the UFC. They don't um, have to seg- take them. Segwaying in. Holly Holm. So this. So I'm really excited for this. Let me name you some of the the fighters that I'm familiar with. I didn't know that there were so many fighters on this card that I was going to know based solely on the fact that the UFC 200 weekend had so many new fighter faces. So Holly Holm versus Valentina Shevchenko, which we'll get into. Edson Barbosa versus Gilbert Melendez, mm-hmm. which is a great fight. Mm-hmm. Francis Nigano. Mm-hmm. I like this the Frenchman. Yeah. Um, Felice like Herring. French, but that's okay. Felice Herring. I don't like anybody outside of the U.S. Announcing it here now. Nationalistic from here on out. You guys have driven me to this. However, we feel bad for everything that happened in France. Yes. Um, and, and, well, anyway. that are continuing to happen. Yeah. Um, so, Eddie Weinland, Darren Elkins versus Godfredo Pepe, and Usman. That's about them. Alex Oliveira, who's been put all the way down on the bottom. Hector Urbina. Anyway, so those are, I'm actually pretty familiar with a lot of these fighters, which I didn't think I was going to be. So let's get into the top. I didn't know that Valentina Shevchenko was from a country that I didn't know existed. Poland? Uh, oh, because I, yeah, but I've she never heard of it in my life. Her family moved to Peru when she was, they migrated, they uh, immigrated. I still, I've never heard of that country. So, That's what I was surprised about. So... Valentina Shevchenko, her last loss was Amanda Nunes. She actually looked very bad in the first round against Amanda Nunes and then looked pretty good in the rest of the fight, but she didn't do enough to win. She's a kickboxer. I think that this is going to be an amazing fight because you're going to get a boxer with some kickboxing skills against a kickboxer. Now, the... 
history would tell you that the boxer might get the might get the better of it because different footwork and different striking. But look at Patrick, you know, look at Pat Barry when he first came in. When those kickboxers take out legs and different things like that, they can do some major damage. And they're not going to be taken down. This this fight, Joe Silva's a genius. How does I'd have to do. I got it right here. Let's actually look. Um, it's actually a trick question. Not a trick question, but I have it in front of me. It's actually a submission. And I mean, which is also wrong. But then look at, yeah, look at Ferguson too, what? who knocks him down with his striking and then submits them. I just, I don't think that's going to happen against Holly. She so everything that Holly Holmes was in in boxing, I think Valentina Shevchenko was in, in kickboxing. Maybe not everything, but she's like in a very very accomplished kickboxer. This. This fight should be much bigger and much high, more highly touted with MMA fans than I think it is. Like, people I think are like, oh, yeah, Holly Holmes fighting somebody. Valentina Shevchenko is no slouch. She's only got, I think, two fights in the UFC, and one of them was against Amanda Nunes, mm-hmm. and she could have won that fight. Mm-hmm. Thanks for leaving, Ronda. Yeah. The division got exciting. And so, Holly Holm, I imagine, would win this fight. However... It's exciting enough to be like she could lose, and I would. I am more excited to watch this fight because there's a good chance of either. Let of me do you a favor. I'm taking Holly home, so go ahead and put money on Shevchenko. You know you're gonna win. <laughs> you know you're gonna win. Yeah, Carson's been way off. I'm putting money. Picks. I'm I'm calling Barbosa. You put your money on Melendez. You're gonna win. Uh, Melendez has got a, a strong chin. Plus, he's got all those uh, ex steroids in his system. So. Gilbert Melendez. He got pinned. Oh, yeah, He's been yeah. out for like a year and a half. Still the best thing Conor ever said to me. Uh, what about Gilbert? What about Jake? <laughs> those are your those are your boys. Those are your, that's your scrap pack. <laughs> you didn't know? He's so cool. Anyway, um, I like that fight too. I think Gilbert Melendez is still. He could get spinning back killed. No, we can't. Doesn't lightning doesn't strike twice? Edson Barbosa is not going to get another one of those. Edson Barbosa is on his way up, and it'll be up interesting. Or out? Uh, Gilbert Melendez has been out for a while. You think he's on his way out? He's always he's gonna he's gonna be mid tier always in that division. He's not gonna. I don't think he ever breaks five. Just looking at looking at this, I would pick Melendez. The only reason I don't pick Melendez is because he's been out so long. And there's so much progression that happens. And the fact is, is that Stockton gym hasn't been doing well lately. I mean, it may be Connor, but honestly, that doesn't mean much. Well, Nate lost to RDA. Nick hasn't fought in a while, but he lost to both Anderson Silva and Carlos Connor. Jake Shields got booted out of the UFC. And Gilbert Melendez lost, I believe. He lost to Anthony Pettis when Anthony Pettis was on his way into whatever the weird deep depression that he's in. Hopefully he gets out of it. And... He had a slugfest with Eddie Alvarez, and he had a slugfest with Diego Sanchez, but neither of them looked technical. I like him. Oh, speaking of which, he's an announcer. He's not on ESPN, right? He's on UFC tonight. He's on ESPN. Because he pinged hot. I think he's on Fox. I don't know. I'm pretty sure he's on Fox. And so who do you got? Um, uh, Edson. Um, but uh, will you look at this and tell me that Gilbert Melendez's photo isn't in black and white? <laughs> it looks like it's a black and white. And then, of they course, have an update picture on him Fra- a Francis Niganow, you have to watch that fight. Whatever happens, make sure that you watch that fight. I will not bet against this guy until he loses, and then I will second guess. He usually wins in devastatingly. Well, that's the last fight that I thought he did, right? Well, he, he had the, the newcomer who looked like he was going to be a wrestler. However, I'm going to cut this. Is there anything else that you want to say? I have to use the bathroom really, really bad. I'll keep going. So you want to you want to roll us out? I know. Thank you for uh, listening this week. Remember to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, whatever else. Stitcher, my finger. Um, follow us on Stop Twitter. Smiling. I'm trying to Stop. think and smile at the same time. <laughs> and uh, make sure you communicate with us. We have a lot of conversations going on right now on on Twitter. Most people just think that they know, already know what's going on, and when we ask a question, they just tell us how it is. And it's funny because we get both sides of each question, but they're just telling it like they are the the know the who's in the who of whatever we're talking about. And just know if you come at me with some uh, Brazilian or some uh, Irish business going forward, it's gonna be 
completely nationalistic and just go against you, <laughs> just to upset you. If you guys drove me to this, know that. Know this now. Thanks, guys. Bye.